William Baines was born in Horbury, which is near Wakefield in Yorkshire, and was from a musical family. His father was a cinema pianist and an organist at a primitive Methodist chapel. Um, and that was where William, when he was younger, received his first musical experiences. From the age of two, he was sat on the organ bench while his father played and they used to play together um, for a lot of services and weddings and funerals. He was part of all of that. But he strictly played classical music. So the annual Messiah took pride of place in the church's musical output, but he only played classical music. So growing up, he was predominantly classically trained. And when the young boy was four, his family moved to a music shop opposite the chapel um, and his father owned the music shop. And amongst the items there catered for was the Edison Bell phonograph, which was the first phonograph that William ever owned. And he used to listen to it all the time. And that's kind of where his uh, music taste started to grow. The village was actually extremely musical despite its size. In addition to the music at the churches, there was a Victoria Prize band and a world famous troupe of handbell ringers, both ensuring that young William was open to a variety of musical experiences from a very early age. By the age of 12, Baines was making his first attempts at composition, mainly hymn tunes and chants uh, used in the churches, and then that was followed by very short piano pieces. The 1911 census shows the family living at 16 Church Street, although there's reliable information that this was demolished quite some years ago, maybe just after they moved out. And the family also lived at 14 Barker Road at some point as well. Both of these addresses do have some kind of residence still standing, and they've been witness to Horbury growing and changing around them. In 1907, William began serious piano study with his father, who really believed that his son was going to be brilliant at piano, but didn't have the finances that would allow for the best possible training. He could only train him himself. He could, however, afford to send him to quite a modest establishment, and this was where William began to study under Albert Jowett at the Yorkshire Training College of Music in Leeds on the 10th of September 1910. He was encouraged by his parents and began piano lessons at a very young age and had formal lessons at the college, although later his compositional style was mainly uh, self-taught. While on holiday in late September of 1917, William received a letter from his mother stating that he had been placed in the Labour Battalion. So this was obviously in the middle of World War I. He'd been composing for some years, but kind of had gone a, bit, a little bit quiet in terms of major events but he was conscripted into the army in 1917. And on the 4th of October, he entered active service. His last diary entry of that year reads as follows. This is my last day behind an artist's bow. Oh, how I love art. Tomorrow I shall be in khaki. I have joined as a Batman, an officer's servant in the RAF. Only those who have my temperament can understand what it means. I have played a little tonight, but it hurts. However, I am hoping the day will not be far distant when I can start my diary once more. Ah, once more, once more, adieu. Never a particularly strong child, he had already been assessed three times for his suitability before it was decided he was fit enough to take on the role as a personal servant uh, for an officer in the RAF when he joined on October 4th. Um, and had failed the first three times due to ill health. 
this was the first time joining the army was the first time he had left his native Yorkshire. And during the first few months of that year, Baines had begun to work on string quartet and also the four sketches for piano. So just before he joined the army, he had begun to produce some of his works that were gone down as part of his compendium. On the 7th of May, 1918, he wrote, Last night I felt very ill. I describe it best as a sort of general weakness. This is the first occasion on which we hear of Baines being physically weak, and he never really regained his full health from this point until his death. He went to Blandford Camp, which was rumoured to have the worst conditions in the country, as was proven when, after only two weeks in the cold, wet, influenza-ridden establishment, William contracted septic poisoning. A telegram was sent to his parents reading, Come at once, your son is dangerously ill. Within 24 hours, his parents were there. Although his father had to return home after a few days, his mother remained for a month until the armistice was signed. So he survived two weeks of active service in the army, and then he essentially became ill and wasn't able to carry on his duty, but remained at the camp with his mother. When he came home, he had a demobilisation party, and that's where he met Carl S. Wood, who was also a pianist, but an artist and a poet as well. He introduced Baines to the nuns at St. Mary's Convent in York, and as the composer was receiving concert engagements while still recovering, they allowed him to go there to practice. Carl Wood also suggested to Baines that he send some manuscripts of his work to Elkins Publishers in London, and they soon invited him down to play for them. Elkins agreed to publish one of his works, Paradise Gardens and The Seven Preludes, providing William paid for 300 copies of each in advance, which he obviously did. Following his discharge from the military, aware of his precarious existence, Baines entered a frankly extraordinary period of composition. Despite his youth, William Baines completed 150 works, mostly in the genre of piano miniature, and he left a symphony titled Symphony in C Minor, which was written before he entered the military. A colossal achievement for a 17-year-old, especially considering that he had never actually heard a symphony at the time. This was all off guesswork and things that he had read, so he'd never heard a symphony, but he managed to write an entire symphony alone. And additionally, he wrote a poem for piano and orchestra uh, and a number of chamber works as well and 150 works in that period of time before his death which I'll speak about later if he had continued at that rate he would have written more work than Beethoven and Mozart over the course of his life if he'd have lived as long as them so he was churning out works at frankly a, a ridiculous rate the summer of 1919 saw the composer working on his violin sonata, the first concert study, Exaltation and the Island of the Fay. And after a holiday in Bridlington, taking in visits to Flamborough, Baines heard in early November from Elkins. They were to publish the two works on the 26th of that month. So he had finally managed to get some of his work published for the wider world, not just for his locals in Yorkshire. The critics were complimentary. In the Arts Gazette, L. Dunton Green spoke of the unmistakable imprint of genius. He was now inescapably under the public eye and invitations for concerts, publishing inquiries and reporters appeared daily. But unfortunately, his health began to fail him again, so once more he left for Bridlington. In the December of 1920, 
Baines received a letter from Frederick Dawson, a famous pianist to whom Baines had sent some manuscripts. Dawson expressed great interest in William's music and invited him to go and play to him, which Baines did, and a great friendship was struck up that lasted for the rest of William Baines's life. They were very close friends and had a number of correspondences between them. And then in March 1922, William's health began to fail again. Even a visit to Bridlington and Flamborough failed to register any real improvement. And on the 12th of April, he wrote what was to be his last composition, Pool Lights from Pictures of Light. Soon he was confined to bed by a Bradford doctor, his condition still deteriorating. On the morning of Monday, the 6th of November, while clasping his father's hand, William Baines died, aged 23. The funeral took place on the following Friday at the Horbury Methodist Church, which is still standing today, which was where Baines first heard his father play the organ. A memorial tablet was constructed a short while later with the intention of placing it at York Minister. The scheme was turned down, however, so the tablet was placed in the chapel at Horbury in 1924. The family grave shows that his younger brother Edward, also known as Teddy, also died tragically young, the year after William, aged only 17. And there was a history of ill health in the family, which was what caught up to both William and to Edward. One of his works that I have listened to and and on the cover of this work, which is called A Last Chief, reads the following lines, which I think is quite poignant and quite reminiscent of William's life. For now the hours are said, and ah, too soon thy golden notes have sped to mingle with the music of the spheres. Um, which was yeah, a quote that was written on the front of The Last Chief, which was one of his works that almost sums up William's life towards the end. So many of William Baines's piano works are available to listen to online and his work was often very much influenced by the landscape of his home county of Yorkshire. He wrote pieces inspired by Bridlington, by Flamborough, by the hills surrounding Horbury and Wakefield, and he was very much inspired by the world that he saw around him. Several of these works were composed at Nun Appleton House, which people might know because of Andrew Marvell whose owner, Mrs. Milner, became a patron to William Baines, the young composer. And there's actually several remnants of Baines's life remaining within Horbury. There's a blue plaque on the house where he and his family once lived at 11 Shepstai Road, and there's a tablet commemorating his death still at Horbury Methodist Church. As I said earlier, the output he produced during his tragically short life before he died of tuberculosis is pretty much phenomenal. There's a quote from Michael Stewart that says, one of the most remarkable things about Baines is the rapidity with which he seemed to find a unique voice. And in my opinion, Baines is a fascinating individual who had a very short but a very full life and it makes for uh, incredibly interesting exploration. The tenacity it took for him to continue writing even while his health failed to know that he was joining the army despite him not being fit enough, but going anyway. And despite his lack of a formal education or financial backing, his parents were not very well off. It demonstrates such devotion to a craft and a need to speak through a language of music, which is something that we all identify with to this day. Listening to music says so much to all of us. 
and to hear that there was this man from Horbury who continued to fight to play music, even when it would be so much easier for him to give up, is incredibly inspiring. And the need to communicate through that music, which was the best way he knew how to, is something that I think we can all identify with to some extent. Hello everyone, my name is Amy Winder and I'm the producer of Who Came Before and I'm here with Tom Eastwood to talk a bit more about the process of writing this episode and to just ask him some questions. So, hi Tom, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you, how are you? Not bad, not bad. So I really love listening to you um, talk in your episode about who William Baines was, but I'd love to hear a bit more about who you are, what you do, why is it that you were interested in William Baines? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So what is it that you do in your day-to-day life? So I am an actor. I've just finished training at the Manchester School of Theatre, um, so I'm now a professional actor. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so i from Horbury, um, and then I've just moved to Manchester for these three years, and then just looking at where's next. So when you were talking about places in your episode, were any of those places that you know well or have been to or have been involved in your life? Obviously, Horbury is a massive part of my life. I grew up there. I went to school at Horbury High School. I um, have many fond memories of, uh, I used to go to U-Tree Sessions, which is the theatre company that I went to when I was younger at Horbury Methodist Church. I've done performances at the Clumsgate Centre. I have played countless games of basketball in Holby Park. It's very much where I have all of my childhood memories. Um, and the when we talk about like Bridlington and Flamborough, those are the holiday destinations for me and an awful lot of other kids who grew up in Holbury. Um, and so when we wanted to go out to the coast, that's where we went. So yeah, um, learning about William Baines's landscape and the area around him uh, is very much the same as mine. Yeah, I really love that about the episode too, about hearing where he'd been, that I'd been, because it's always yeah, exciting absolutely. to be able to point at a historical figure and go, <laughs> I know that place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and just the fact that like how much music was written about the local area and then seeing that local area and being in it and going, actually, I can see where some of that inspiration came from is fascinating. So is music a big part of your life then? Yes. Um, I would like to say that I'm a brilliant musician, but <laughs> I don't think I can go that far. I, um, I've played guitar for a long time and I, I sing as well. Um, but just in general, I'm a huge music fan. I listen to an awful lot of music. Um, as an actor, music plays a massive part in preparing for roles and in performance. Um, and I have a number of friends who are musicians, incredibly talented musicians. So, yeah, music is a massive part of my life. Cool. So in terms of um, podcasting, is this the kind of thing that you've done before or is this a new experience for you? Podcasting itself is quite a new experience for me. Um, I've, we've, Me and a friend of mine have banded the idea of a podcast around for ages, but we 
um, have always struggled getting together and actually making it happen. So the experience of recording a podcast is quite new. Um, I've done quite a lot of voice work um, within my training at drama school, which is voiceovers or radio plays. But actually sitting down for a podcast is quite a new experience. Cool. Nice. Um, so how did you find the process of researching your figure? Was it a difficult thing to find out information about him? Uh, yes. Yes and no, actually. In that there is there's an immediate bit of information that's quite easy to find about William Baines because his music did reach beyond the confines of just Horbury. Um, he was, as I say, produced by Elkins. Um, his works were published. So there's kind of a... Um, a bit of information that's really easy to find. However, unfortunately, that's the same bit of information that appears on an awful lot of different websites. So digging deeper and trying to find out more about him and his his life was harder. You could kind of find the surface quite easily, but then dropping down and trying to find a little bit more became quite hard. Um, and trying to find the bits that are interesting, not that any part of anyone's life isn't interesting, but trying to boil it down to the to the pieces of information that I thought were really important to tell was also a little bit tricky. Trying to cut away some of the fat and just focus on what's important was was a bit of a challenge as well. So yes and no is the answer to that question. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think one of the really interesting things about talking about composer is that some of his music's still about in the form of sheet music and you get to listen to it and get that connection with him. Absolutely. There is... Online, you can listen to some of uh, William Baines's pieces. There's a website, I think, um, that has recordings of his music or uh, people playing his music, and his sheet music is still available. So you, there's kind of a real connection to William Baines himself because his work has outlived him, which I think is exactly what he wanted to happen with the amount of work that he produced. Um, and so there is that slightly more visceral connection to somebody who you can here in in a way um which is very very interesting as well so i don't know if you mentioned it in the episode were there um was there a particular song that you most enjoyed or would recommend people go and listen to um i actually in in researching the episode i took i listened to little snippets of lots of his stuff as opposed to sitting and listening to all of his compendium i was trying to listen to bits and pieces and find some similarities so I wouldn't necessarily point at one particular song, um, but it's gen genuinely worth listening to, to his music, especially if you've grown up in the Horbury area or you've even visited the kind of uh, the West Yorkshire area. Because if you know the landscape at all and you listen to his music, I think you genuinely can see the connection just from even snippets that I listen to. You can hear the the link between the two. So I think it's definitely worth going and, and tracking it down and listening to it because it's, it's really good that sounds really neat um so as a bit more of a fun question if you could travel in time and you got to spend the, the day with him what do you think you'd get up to um I definitely want to hear him play I think I think I'd be fascinated to know what his process of writing was I think I'd love to be like okay you just sit and write <laughs> <laughs> or do you think? And I'm just going to sit and watch because just to have produced that amount of music in that short amount of time, he only lived to be 23 and produced 150 pieces of work in that time. It's just a phenomenal output. And so I'd love to 
to sit and and watch him create and see what his process is. Um, I can't imagine us being out on the town necessarily. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I'd love to to sit and watch his process of writing. Great. Um, so thank you so much for talking to me. Just to round it's it out It's an absolute now, pleasure. <laughs> if, is there anywhere that our listeners can go to if they want to see more of your work or keep up to date with what you're doing? Yes. So I have an Instagram that's that is the best place to check my stuff out on it's relatively new because i've only just graduated um but if you go to tom underscore m underscore eastwood you will locate my instagram and see my acting work and my stage combat work and hopefully in the future some voiceover work as well and so that's the best place to locate me amazing thank you um so that's it for us on this episode thank you so much everyone for listening bye Today's episode of Who Came Before was written and performed by Tom Eastwood with theme music by Brandon Lund. It was produced and edited by Amy Winder for Wakefield Litfest and funded by the Horbury Commonlands Trust. To find out more about Wakefield Litfest, find us on Twitter at WakeyLitfest or on Instagram at WakefieldLitfest or search for us on Facebook. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>